0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and we're doing something a little bit different this week. Like I mentioned, uh, I think a few times in the week leading up to uh, the pre-Ball State schedule, we don't know any Ball State people, so we couldn't go out and get someone to give us some insight into Ball State. So instead, what I wanted to do was talk to someone who can give us some insight into something James Franklin said after Penn State's win over Wisconsin this week. Franklin, hat tip to Mark Wogenrich, said that they're the two most important stats in football in reference to big plays and winning the turnover battle. And I figured, you know what? There is no better person to talk about this than the guy who put together the five factors of uh, college football. The guy who is known for SP Plus, stats guru, USMNT, and general soccer ace, uh, wearer of about 10 million different hats, Bill Conway of ESPN. Bill, what's going on, brother?
1: For the record, I've actually seen a game in Muncie, um, so I can mm. fake it if you want. I can be a Ball State beat writer if you really need me to be
0: one. Uh, real quick, let me get your best Letterman laugh.
1: Oh uh, no, no, I'm not even gonna. <laughs> I, would, I would need to rehearse that beforehand. There's no way in hell I'm doing it.
0: Yeah, and I don't have a uh, my I don't have a Paul Shaper rig to play some fun music afterwards, so I do understand wanting to pass on that. But Phil, uh, thank you uh, for coming on. Uh, like I mentioned Franklin after the game said that a uh, little bit about big plays and winning the turnover battle Penn State last week of course uh, won the turnover battle three to nothing against Wisconsin big plays uh, I don't think we need to go through all the ways that Penn State whipped up on Wisconsin and that but Penn State very much did uh, just before we dive into that did you get a chance to watch the game get a chance to uh, Check a little bit of that out. Can I just get some thoughts on what you saw out of Penn State in that one?
1: Yeah. I mean, their adaptability I thought was really good – You know, just being able to continue to kind of probe for for the big plays, figure out different ways to try to get everybody going. It obviously wasn't just a comprehensively amazing um, performance, but they were able to figure out how to get um, dots in the ball there in the second half. They got contributions from really all three of the receivers they need to be getting contributions from this year. So. I mean, in the end, like Wisconsin might have the best defense that they faced this year and, and they managed to survive it. So it was good in that regard. Now, Iowa might object to what I just said. We'll see. But uh, in that regard alone, I thought it was it was a good result that it, it was, you know, obviously, you know, it was a funky game when Wisconsin ends up with 90 snaps or whatever it was. But, um, you know, this was just a and advanced game. You can look good, uh, comprehensively good later on.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it very much seems like the kind of game where, like, the only element you care about looking good in is the final score. You're not exactly going for style points anywhere else.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I'm pulling up the the, spread, the spreadsheets. There's nothing better than podcasting with, and playing with spreadsheets at the same time. But um, <laughs> let's see, the post-game win expectancy, that's one of my main numbers that I really enjoy following, especially from week to week, just basically where I take all the things that go on in my SP Plus ratings, and on a single-game basis, look at the stats the game produced and say, like, with, with with these stats, you would have expected to win this game X percent of the time. I was kind of curious because I couldn't – neither team was very efficient and I, I couldn't – and Wisconsin had so many more snaps. I couldn't really tell what that number was going to say. It was 71 percent for Penn State um, Interesting. in this game, which kind of – you know, despite the yardage weirdness and whatnot, it kind of says that they did more of the big things right. It wasn't some fluky, turnover-driven only kind of win. They they did a lot of the things they needed to do.
0: Yeah, I want to uh, give a hat tip to uh, David Eckert of uh, BWI who said that, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the pod, but Penn State had six plays of 40-plus yards all of last season <laughs> and had three of 40 plus yards in the second yeah. half. So uh, bit of a bit of a culture shift from Penn State. But before we get into that stuff, I want to ask you about that quote from James Franklin about those two things specifically being the most important stats in football, and that Penn State wins about 97% of the games when they win them. Like, is that number, you know, if there's a little bit too broad of a question, I apologize. Is that number a about right across college football. And then just generally, does that sound right? That those are the two stats that teams seem to be the most eager to hang their hats on. Yeah. I mean, I haven't pulled that like for everybody in
1: a while, but I know it's going to be at least 90% and probably close to 95 nationally. So, I mean, that's that, that I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's right. I'm sure they've done their research there and it's um, it's, it's the right number for them to use. I will say, there are differences between what, – what makes football really interesting, especially when you think about how guys try to go about coaching it, is there are the things that after the fact you can point to and say here is what won the game. Turnovers are obviously a humongous part of that. Big plays are a huge part of that. So he's, he's absolutely correct. If you win those things, it's going to be really hard to – To lose the game. But what's interesting is like, think of how is that coachable? That's the, that's the tricky part. You can't just say, well, great, go make more big plays and don't turn the ball over and we'll win. It'll be great. (laughs) You have to actually engineer the big plays and you have to prevent them. And you have to, while bounces are certainly a part of turnovers, you have to put yourself in position to uh, create turnovers or takeaways on, on defense and avoid them. Like the, the way you go about that is really hard. It's not the most coachable thing in the world. And so the most coachable part really comes back to down to down of efficiency and effectiveness and consistency. And, you know, because among other things, if you're on schedule, if you're efficient on the ball, then you're less likely to be put in turnover situations. Turnovers are more common on like third and 10 than third and two, obviously. And then on the other side of that, you can't make, make big plays if you're off the field. So if you're on the field and you can uh, stay on the field, then you're more likely to make a chunk play at some point. So what's coachable and what's kind of in retrospect, uh, what wins games, it's a little bit different and, and it's a really tricky thing to try to figure out how to generate those big plays without risking turnovers, without risking a lot of other things. And, um, I mean, <laughs> they did a good job in week one anyway.
0: Yeah. It's the thing that, uh, it, it's a joke that I think you hear from a lot of college football fans, which is go out there and run the touchdown play. But it sounds like you're basically saying that like, Yes, obviously everybody wants to do that, but it's never quite as easy as right. you know. You have that one play on the back of the playbook that you uh, you know you press it, you press A because that's what it is in Madden, and then you go out there and run it, and it works every time.
1: Yeah, and and that's where I mean, Yersich has always been really, really good at creating big plays wherever he goes. Uh, Oklahoma State was obviously it wasn't just him; it was Gundy at Oklahoma State too. But that offense. Um, when they had problems, it was going to be, you know, maybe some quarterback protection here or some inefficiency there. They were going to make more big plays than anybody on the planet. And part of that was just the willingness to to keep looking vertically and, and take the shots when you get them and have the quarterback with the arm to do it and the receivers who can go deep and all that. But um, clearly there are some offenses that are more prone to, or have more big plays, big, big play opportunities baked into them. And your is always going to be one, who looks for that you still have to have the efficiency you still can't just th- start throwing jump balls 40 yards downfield but th- there's no question that your such offense looks for the big chunk plays
0: so I, I actually kind of want to dive into big plays more because I feel like that's something that we've seen uh, across college football over the last however many years I mean we'll get into the like in a second into just how like there's conventional wisdom about football, which is you need to be safe. You need to be safe. You need to be safe. It seems like there's suddenly been this understanding that like, you could still be safe throwing the ball 30 yards down the field, 40 yards down the field, going for those home runs in the running game. If you're like good at them and you understand how to do them correctly. Is that, is that a safe assumption?
1: Certainly. And if you know how to protect the quarterback, that's, <laughs> that's going to be a big oh, part yes. of it
0: too, obviously. Um, no,
1: yeah, there, there's, it's not just a situation where the quarterback is is blindly throwing jump balls. The Joe Moorhead years proved that. I think he was a little sensitive to that, actually, because it's you know, that first year in 2016, especially, I think he heard that critique a lot like they're just throwing jump balls and, and their guys sometimes get them. And, you know, um, I don't remember what his quote was on it, but he's like, we're not throwing 50, 50 balls. We're throwing it like, you know, 90, 10 or 100, zero balls or whatever the quote was. Um, But yeah, like the, the where if you can manipulate the space on the field and it open it up and, and make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're putting receivers in the areas you want to put receivers in, in the open field, a well-structured offense like an Ohio State, for instance, Ohio State has. Maybe my favorite spacing of any offense in college football, even more than Alabama, because they always have a quarterback who can throw rifles from sideline to sideline, and they know how to use that space. And even if you know what they're going to run, you can't really stop it because their talent is so good that they're going to get to that space even if you're trying to stop them. So, I mean, a a well-structured and and talented offense is going to be able to make more big plays easily without uh, nearly as much risk as some.
0: Uh, yeah, I actually, I, I was actually at that press conference that Joe Moore had kind of lost his mind at. He said it was yeah. a gross mischaracterization, and he said uh, kid like Trace McSorley couldn't set passing records if he was just throwing the ball indiscriminately down the field. Right. Uh, that, so, I, I mean, this is also probably why we're seeing like so many crazy athletes, you know, play getting moved to wide receiver, and like there's suddenly so much value in being, you know, the kind of wide receiver who can take the top off the defense as opposed to like you know, I don't want to pick on a kid like Danny Davis cause I think he's a good player, but just the guy who's like route tech t- tactician right. who gets 12 yards down the field, catches the football and then doesn't have that extra little bit of shake or something like that. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, Davis is, could be great in the right offense with the right yes. supporting cast. Like it's still great to have those guys. It's just, you're at your best. If you've got the technician efficiency guys and then the, the, the deep threat guys. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's no question. And, and, you know, this is kind of an area where, uh, of course, talent matters above all else. You know, Penn State's receiving core is in probably better shape this year than it's been in a couple of years. So um, even if your situ- weren't even if you had the same coaching lineup as last year, you'd be more likely to make big plays this year because you have more big play guys. So there is that part of it. But um, I mean, there's no question that you can the structure of your offense. If you gear it towards big plays, you're going to have more big play opportunities as long as you have the, the, the talent to fulfill it.
0: Yeah. I want to just give like a quick hat tip to running games here. Like it, I know James Franklin and Penn State have their own definition of it. Is there, like, a technical change in definition between what a big play is in the running game and the passing game, at least in, like, the way that you calculate it all?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, there are so many different – you see 20 yards, you see 15 yards. You see – I think Penn State does the, like, 12-yard runs and 16-yard passes or whatever. Um, I mean, there are a million definitions, but really it's – just about getting as many double digit gains as possible so you can reset the bar wherever you want but to your point about receivers and and playmakers playing the receiver position i did have um a, an offensive a very well-regarded offensive coach tell me last year like that's the biggest thing they've noticed in recruiting is guys who would have been running backs uh, in in a previous decade so many of them that 6 190 kind of frame instead of being like a DeMarco Murray style running back now they're just lining up at receiver and because they know they're going to get their opportunities there they know they're going to make money there if they make it to the pros and that's kind of redefined You know, high school offenses are more advanced than they were 20 years ago, and then there are more advanced receivers and playing in more advanced passing games than there were 20 years ago. So you can kind of hit the ground
0: running a little bit more there. So it's interesting that this conversation, at least to me, it's happening after Penn State played Wisconsin specifically, because I think Wisconsin is. I don't want to say a throwback because I think that kind of implies that their offense is like totally outdated and doesn't work. They win 10 games every year. Like, obviously that's not totally it, but <laughs> there's like just the way that this conversation has evolved. It seems like now there is just so much more than four yards on first down four yards on second down, two yards on third down, like just chipping away slowly and slowly and slowly. And slowly. like, can you like, Speak to how football has gotten away from that level of just being like, we're going to be ruthlessly efficient. And if we're able to get 10 yards, you know, eight times on a drive, we know that's going to lead to a touchdown.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, Wisconsin's, I mean... It doesn't have to be a bad term to say that they're a throwback. There's no question that they do things. You know, Barry Alvarez 30 years ago basically created a manual for here's how we're going to win in Wisconsin football. And the fact that they're still able to basically use that manual to win a ton of games is incredible. Um, You know, that's his legacy. I didn't, when I, I, you know, ranked coaches a while, but over the summer um and uh, like I had him in the top 30, but not like the top 15 or anything, but as far as like a, a sustainable legacy, what he did, it was almost impossible. So power to them for that, but uh, you know, and power to them for understanding, like, we're not going to get all that many five-star quarterbacks or five-star receivers. And here's what, you know, here's an offense that we can maintain from year to year and, Win a lot of games playing it with the guys we can recruit. So the fact that they've done that is incredible. But no, I mean, the the, the advances on offense, um, I, I mean, part of it, I guess, was just the acceptance of the passing game in general over the last 25 years. Uh, and then the realization that, you know, you can make a lot more big plays when you're passing more often. I do think there's been an acceptance that, I mean, number one, three or four yards on first down, I think has, and, until about 10 years ago was considered a, a solid gain uh, for a lot of coaches. And it's really not, I mean, you need to be making, uh, you know, with my success rate formula, it's always been 50% on first down. And what we're seeing now that these expected points added formulas and whatnot are, are, are you know, have, have kind of proliferated, in college football we're seeing that you need to gain about 5 yards just to keep the expected points of a given drive you know from from progressing so um i do think whether it's just the the explosiveness and the acceptance of the passing game or the fact that there have been at least some college football staffs that have gotten a little further into the you know into the weeds <laughs> as far as the analytics go i do think there's an acceptance of that and and that maybe we need to set the bar a little higher and and aim a little don't, don't just settle for running up the middle for three yards to start every drive.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the school that I'm always going to point to here is Alabama and how like Nick Saban for the longest time was like, just, we are so talented that we can win every game 10 to seven if we really want to just nobody do anything too like too close to making a mistake. And then at some point uh, you know, I, I, it, canonically, it's Lane Kiffin coming in. He threw a Hemi in that thing, and like all of a sudden, Alabama's like demolishing teams. But it is fascinating how that evolution has happened, and I think we're now seeing a bit of that evolution uh, after a year. I don't want to say a year of a setback, a, a year of a change in priorities uh, at Penn State. Can you just talk me through what we saw from them last year, and obviously only one game, but just some early signs and how. Penn State's approach might be a little bit different now that they have a new offensive coordinator. Well, yeah, I mean, Soraka,
1: I mean, the, his Minnesota offense in 2019 was outstanding. So I want I want to start there before we go any further. Um, like I, the fact that he was on the candidates list to begin with made plenty of sense because they had the this combination of physicality and extreme RPO dominance in 2019. And they, of course, they had, you know, two incredible receivers as well, or two and like almost three incredible receivers on that team. So they could anytime your your safeties or your linebackers were wrong footed or pursuing the wrong thing. The, the, you know, there was going to be a receiver falling exactly into that area and either on a slant or a go route and and making a big gain out of it. So it was a fine tuned offense and i understand why franklin would have been attracted to that but um i mean number one it took him a couple it took them a couple of years to really get to where they wanted to be offensively at minnesota so it wasn't necessarily there was no guarantee it was going to be a quick uh, just an immediate uh, explosion with soraka uh calling the plays and then when you add to that you know noah kane <laughs> suffering his annual injury. So far, so good this year, I guess, but um, you know, getting <laughs> hurt immediately and them you know, thinking they going from ha- thinking they had about the, one of the deepest running back rooms in the country to relying on a freshman right out of the gate almost. That was obviously a big change and it affected their ability because if you can't run the ball, you can't really do much with RPOs. <laughs> you know, the, the, the defenses aren't going to allow themselves to be manipulated in the way you need them to be. Uh, if you can't really run the football. So right out of the gate, like Clifford had to deal with so much more pressure, so many tougher passing windows than he expected to. And then you had a receiving core that was relying on two freshmen and Friar Muth was hurt and um, Dotson was awesome, but he was still kind of his getting his feet wet as a number one. And so all of that pretty much guaranteed a slow start. If You know, looking back after the fact it makes perfect sense that they struggled uh, the way they did. And I mean, the I, I thought they showed enough promise late in the year to to suggest that maybe without making a single change they could uh, you know have a better offense a, a more a higher ceiling this year overall. Now I mean credit to Franklin you know for all we know he he wanted to get Yursich uh, last year and he had a, he saw the opportunity to get him he made a tough call and he and he he got his guy and and despite the 16 point output I think what we saw in the second half showed what you can expect from your sitch. and um i mean i think this will be a good thing i think it makes their ceiling higher at least let's put it that way
0: well listen that's all i i think after last season that is basically all that penn state fans could hope for uh but bill thank you very much uh for coming on this edition of the pod i appreciate taking uh 20 minutes of your time man
1: I seriously, if we wanted to if we had wanted to do ball state for twenty five minutes, I could have. Just just so <laughs> you know.
0: Well, here's the issue is that I also haven't like started really doing my homework on ball state because <laughs> we're not doing that until a little bit later today. So that'll be a uh, that'll be my homework and then I'll shoot you a DM and we could uh there get we go. into uh, we can get into it.
1: Just, but, just expect lots and lots of
0: horizontal passes. That's all I can really It'll be interesting. We, we play in the Big Ten, buddy. That's I'm used to it. <laughs> uh, yes, Bill, thank you one more time for coming on. Thank you to all of you for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. Make sure, as always, make sure you're subscribing to us on our various podcasting platforms. Make sure you're following us on social media, reading the site, buying shirts, all that stuff. One more time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Alliance Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.